Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. Talk. Uh, this is Dr. Richard Schertz. And we're talking technology. We're right? talking technology. And I'm Jim Russ. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. This week, or rather that last month, was the 40th anniversary of the IEEE 802 group. And you don't realize how important that group is, but I'm just going to explain it to you. We're also going to talk about how much money these attackers have been collecting with ransomware. That was the story we didn't quite get to last week. DuckDuckGo has come up with a new tracker, and they're going to find out who's tracking you. And they track everything, I'll tell you that. And West Virginia is not going to use that smartphone app that I talked about a couple of weeks ago because of the security flaws. And there's going to be a big warning today. There is a backdoor malware that's being spread through fake alerts when you're surfing the web. And I'll tell you what to look for because you don't want to get infected there. And this week we're going to feature Judith Faulkner. She, this was suggested by one of our loyal listeners last week. Judith is the, um, is the, the uh, co-founder of Epic Systems. It's a healthcare software company located in Wisconsin. It's one of the largest healthcare software companies out there, and it's an interesting story about Judy. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbox. There's a letter in your mailbox. <laughs> yes, we got an email from Barbie in Reston. Dear Doc and Jim, I have an I'm an iPhone user, and the rest of my family has Androids. See, this is like What's a classic. This is like a big classic debate. Uh, it is. I can never use their charging cables, and I frequently forget mine. Is there any way that I can use the micro USB cable to charge my phone, Barbie and Reston? Well, Barbie, you're you're caught up with the fact that Apple takes great pride in making their products well built and different from the competition. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to use the lightning cable instead of the industry standard micro USB. And they did it just because they wanted to be different. Fortunately, there's a simple way to charge all your Lightning-compatible Apple devices. Uh, you can use the Amazon Basics micro USB to Lightning adapter. And you just plug that in your phone, and then at that point, you can charge your phone with any micro USB. Now, you can go to Amazon. You look up Amazon Basics micro USB to Lightning adapter. You're going to discover that it's $13.58 on Amazon. Now, don't go to the Apple Store. They'll charge you two or three times yeah, that right. price. Exactly. Okay, get it on, get it on Amazon, and then with that little adapter, you can use anybody's charging cable. We got an email hey, from. Before you, yes. Uh, so, do you think I, I heard? I thought I heard you say the uh, Apple system is better 
Do you like the lightning cable better than the other? What is the other thing called? The um, micro USB. Micro USB. Micro USB. Well, the micro USB is there's an orientation to it, whereas uh-huh. the uh, yes. whereas the lightning cable can go either way. Right. So uh, what Apple said, well, it's, they don't want the user to have to figure out which way to turn the cable when they plug it in. So that's why they did that. To me, it also feels a little bit more st- um, sturdy. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the I, I like the lightning. I like the lightning cable too because when I use the <laughs> micro USB, again, I always yeah. have get turned around as to that's right which way it goes so it is an improvement but they always want to be different than the other people that's because they make a lot of money selling cables i want to know just want to know that so we got an email from andrea in madison wisconsin dear tech doc i just replaced my old desktop computer with a brand new dell laptop with windows 10 now the computer is fine but i'm having one problem and i hope you can help me I'm 70, my eyesight's not so good. So when I'm typing something into Notepad, I've got a hard time seeing the blinking cursor. It's just a lot dimmer on this Windows system. What, what, is there anything I can do about it? Well, Andrea, luckily, Microsoft provides several tools, what they call in the Ease of Access Center. Ease of Access Center. So what you want to do, you want to hit the Start button, and there's a little uh, icon setting. It's like a little gear Click on that, and then scroll down. When you come to settings, you'll scroll down to something called ease of access. Click on that, and then there's something called cursor and pointer. Click on that, and then you can make the pointer uh, bigger or smaller. You can make it a different color, and you can play around with that until you get a cursor shape that you like. I mean, it's actually quite a nice feature, and best of luck with your – I don't know why you're using Notepad, though. I mean, that's not a very good word processor, but – no. I guess it's uh, I guess it's something that's what she likes maybe it comes free with Windows it does I think that's it it comes free with Windows we got an email from Tung in Cleveland dear Doc and Jim I use my email account for all my private communication <laughs> what will happen what will happen to my Gmail account when I pass away I don't want anybody to hack into it and cause mischief with all the stuff I've been sending on my Gmail account well, you know, this is this Cleveland bunch here, so there's probably a lot of stuff that she wants to hide in her Gmail. Well, here's the thing, Dong. After you pass away, your Gmail account will go no- dormant. Uh, nobody can get into it. Including you. Uh, and including you. But unfortunately, hackers may try to get into it because maybe, maybe you reused the same password, and they might be able to hack into it. And, and, and uh, it's possible for your dormant email account to be taken over by hackers. And then all of a sudden, all your contacts and all the people that you have had association with, all those emails would be exposed. And so there is some vulnerability um, after you are gone, and it probably is better just to get rid of it. So Google has created a tool. It's called the Interactive Account Manager. Okay? Now, this tool makes it easy for you to tell Google what you want them to do when you're when, the, when you've passed on. Now, you simply visit this page, Inactive Account Manager, and I've I, it's uh, <clears throat> it's actually myaccount.google.com slash inactive. I'll have that on the show outline when we post it. You go to that, you click on the Start button, and then and you could say if your account is inactive for a certain time period, just delete it. You could say that. Or you could tell them to uh, allow somebody else to take it over if, if you want to do that. So you can give them what you want to do. Now, what, which I think makes a lot of sense, you say if it's been inactive for two years, delete everything. 
Now, I have to tell you, though, it's just not your Gmail that will be deleted. Your entire Google account will be deleted. Mm -hmm. So don't put that trigger on too soon because uh, you, you may lose everything there. We got hey, an email from – Hang on a yes. second. I got a question for you. So, okay, so suppose somebody's involved in something nefarious, right? Yes. And um, there, a lot of this stuff is on their Gmail account. Uh -huh. and something happened to them, and they've signed up for no activity in a certain amount of time, Gmail account goes away. Yes. Can the authority still – I mean, is this stuff still on the server somewhere? Is it – I mean, is it truly – it's, it's probably not really it's, gone. It's is probably it? back – it's probably on a backup somewhere, Uh huh. I would think. So uh, I would think if Google would go into their backup archives, they could probably reclaim it, mm -hmm. even though it's deleted. I don't think Google deletes anything, to tell you the truth. This is an interesting concept because, um, <clears throat> you know, should people who are putting together wills or a, a, a trust or something like that, should they be including stuff in that now? If they if they have Facebook and, and, and Twitter and all this stuff, should this be something that you put into your last will and testament, what, what happens? It, it, I think it's very important because especially Facebook, many times that's a whole uh, – repository of pictures your entire life so that becomes a real asset and so you really need to decide in your will how you want to handle it mm -hmm. and uh, what you need to do is, is appoint somebody as your digital content manager and then you can your digital what is a what's the keep going i think i'm thinking of a and word then here. you can uh, then what you do you can go to each of these sites facebook twitter instagram and they all have these pages for what happens after you die and then you can assign them to your digital content manager your digital executor your di your digital executor yes your uh -huh. digital executor now now there may be a site that really you don't want anybody to know about that <laughs> that, that is that is possible uh -huh. especially your executor so what you would do, you would just have that site deleted. Uh huh. But I do think. But how would they? So, uh, but I guess it would also be after no activity over a certain amount of time, sort of a thing. No activity after a certain amount of time. Now, uh -huh. if, you, if you if you set it up for a digital executor, they have to send your death certificate to the social media company. Interesting. And then if if they can prove your death and and prove their identity, then the account is assigned to them. But if you have this automatic no activity deal, then it just goes away and you don't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I do think people must start thinking about that because it, especially uh, Facebook sites, because many, many times they'll turn the Facebook site into a memorial site. And then people go go onto that site and they and they leave remembrances of the person. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's it, it looks kind of creepy in a way, but it is a way to. I mean, if there's pictures and things like that that you remembered yeah uh, somebody i know who was quite old recently passed away and he was really active on on facebook and he when he got sick i mean we all figured he lived uh -huh. forever yeah so he he meant he wrote this posting on on facebook that was startling he said he was suffering from a certain disease that had just been discovered and there was nothing they could do because of his age and he was at the end of the line and it was going to come soon and it was like, wow, I mean, this is something that never used to happen. Now yeah. people are now are pre-announcing their impending demise. I know. It's a um, – it, I mean, social media has changed the way we com communicate completely. Yeah. But I do think there has to be a digital will. I, actually, I think that makes a lot of sense. It does. But what's really <clears throat> creepy – I think what's creepier than the memorial page is that when somebody's gone and they haven't done anything uh -huh. and you get their birthday announcement yeah. after they've been dead for a few years. That's yeah. really weird. 
or you get this, you know, you've been friends for five years and some pictures pop up. Yeah. You get it's, these. It's a little creepy. It is a little creepy. Yeah. So we got an email from Don in Boston. Dear Tech Talk, I need to combine multiple Word documents into a single master. Now, this is, this is a big project at work. I mean, it's not just like two or three. It's like 50 to 100 documents. Mm. And it's just a lot of work to take a, to cut and paste, you know, to, to, to take and copy and then paste into it. Is there a better way to do it? <clears throat> because these are long documents, and I've, I've, I, I'm trying to, he's trying to assemble some kind of court case or something. Okay, for most people, we've just got a couple of them. The quickest method for combining Word documents is to manually copy it from one and then paste it into the other one. But there's an easier way to do it when you've got to do it for hundreds of files. And you can actually insert a file in, into the document. So what you want to do, up in the ribbon bar, you, what you do, you open up a blank document first. That will become your master document. And then you click, ins, there's an insert tab, click on insert. And then you go over to the right, under in the text section, there's something called the object button. I'm telling you, I when I went to tr- figure this out, I could hardly figure out the object button because it, it 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 doesn't look like an object. It just so I had to let the cursor go on top of each of the buttons and finally it said object. I mean the the actual graphic doesn't indicate object. Which one button. is it? It's like a it it's a little uh it 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 looks like a piece of paper with with a smaller um with a smaller piece of paper as an insert on top of it. Okay. And, screen and screen. Uh, yeah, screen and screen. <laughs> it looks like a screen and screen. So it made sense once once I knew that that was it. So you click on that. You 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 actually there's a little arrow a little arrow to the right. Click on that. You get a drop down thing, and then you want to put in text from file because you're inserting a file, and that will bring up a, a screen. You select the file you want to insert, and then you just say insert, and it just goes right into the document. And then you go down to the next insert. And you insert the next file, and it will go at the end of that, and you just do it fifty times, and, wow. and you'll you'll and you'll get it done. That's really the quickest way to do it. Speeds it up infinitely, and all all the formatting is just poured it in. Now, if you're if some of them are are the older versions of Word, like DOC, and you're putting it into a to a newer version of Word, which is DOCX, then you may there may be some formatting changes because of that conversion. But I'm telling Don, that's the quickest way to do it. When you got that master job to do masterly big job to do we got mm-hmm. an email from wending and falls church dear tech talk how can i avoid installing junkware and all kinds of unwanted add-ons when i download free software these extras are really annoying well <clears throat> wendy here's the problem the problem is that free software doesn't give companies any way to make money <laughs> And um, and so what happens is uh, they, they have to make money from somewhere. So you go to this website. If you download free software, the download site makes no money, and the the, uh, the the person who wrote the software makes no money. So the only way they can earn money is to add on additional software. And every time that additional add-on is downloaded, the software company that produced the add-on pays them a little fee. That's what it is. Like, for instance, if you... If you install Adobe Flash on your PC, you'll probably find that there's a couple of uh, add-on software packages that are trying to dump on you. Now, luckily, it's easy to get rid of this of this junkware. I mean, they, they can't make you take it, so there are always yeah. boxes where you opt out. Uh-huh. So you always look for little checkmark boxes, 
and you uncheck them. Now, these boxes will usually be displayed on the first or second screen, but sometimes they'll be buried deep in the installation process. Make sure you scour every page for these checkboxes and you uncheck them. Now, some guys are really sneaky, and they'll put these checkboxes down at the bottom of the terms and conditions screen. You scroll all the way down, and there'll be the checkboxes down there. Now, you always, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll also, you, you typically have a choice of automatic installation or custom installation. If you do the automatic, you're going to get all the junk. Mm-hmm. So you want to do custom. And the and custom information gives you the options to opt out. Now, my advice is download your software from oldergeeks.com. I've talked about these guys before. Older Geeks. They scour the software for malware and add-ons, and you can download free software from oldergeeks.com without any junk programs coming in. Listen, we love your emails. Yes? I said we do love your emails. I was agreeing with you. Okay, very good. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. We are heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Digitally, digitally, you can find us at federalnewsnetwork.com and check out all the great uh, programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Watch us do the program. Download the Periscope app your device follow us at wfed tech talk if it's technology it's tech talk radio it trends software the internet and it careers more of tech talk radio presented by stratford university coming up in a moment In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Judith R. Faulkner. She was suggested by Susan, one of our all-time listeners. Judith R. Faulkner is a mathematician and software developer best known for co-founding Epic Systems, a healthware software company located in Wisconsin. Faulkner was born August 1943 in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. She grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Her parents inspired her early interest in healthcare. Her father was a pharmacist, and her mom was a director at the Oregon Physicians for Social Responsibility. She graduated from Morristown Friends School in Cherry Hill, North New Jersey, 
She received a Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics from Dickinson College, and she got a master's degree in computer science from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Now, one of our faculty members, Dr. John Greist, Greist, what do you think? Greist, I'd go with Greist. Yeah, Dr. John Greist needed a graduate student to make a call schedule for the hospital, something that would be automated. So he called Faulkner, and she stayed up all night programming this thing to finish it, and she automated the system. She later developed a computer program for patient information storage and retrieval called PISAR. <laughs> PISAR. I've got to pronounce this P-I-S-A-R. Would you I'm say I'm going with PISAR. <laughs> I think if there was another S, you might be on to something, but yeah, I'm going with I'm gonna, PISAR. I think we're going to go with PISAR. <laughs> You know, I need I need to practice this pronunciation I, you know before the show. Get here five minutes earlier. <laughs> practice all these names. I really do. So she she that, that patient information <laughs> storage and retrieval. Thanks for losing the license, Doc. That's right. Now now she along with uh, Greist uh, decided to form a company around PSAR. <laughs> you know. So okay. So what is it? So the uh, the Disney thing is Pixar. Pixar. I'd go with PSAR. PSAR, okay, I think we've got to go with that. I think, I think we have to go we, with PSAR. We, we have to go with that. So they formed a company. I think and, we also now know the answer to the quiz. That's right, PSAR, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the name of <laughs> You know, I'm going to have to practice, you know. I'm going to have to get, you may be five minutes early. Five and minutes earlier. And practice and the show we'll just have, a little we'll, bit. A little room, you can go to the room over there, nobody's around so that we can't hear you. <laughs> yes. Privacy. Thank you. So they, PSAR. PSAR. So they, so they actually fa- they found they decided that when they founded the company they decided that PSAR was not a good name because they they're good at marketing so they call it human services computing and she she co-founded that in 1979 with Dr. John uh, Greist. Now human services computing was later renamed Epic Systems. Now this began in the basement. At 2020 University Avenue in Madison, Wisconsin, you know, right by the university. The company started with $70,000 investment only from friends and family. It turned out that Judith, they, well, actually, everybody called her Judy. Do you, you mind if I call her Judy? That's what I, her friends I think did. that's kind of up to her. I have nothing to say about that. In fact, everybody in the healthcare industry knows her by Judy. If, if, you're, if you're in healthcare software, they, they talk about Judy just like people in TV talk about Oprah. Just one, uh, just really? one name. One name. Like she's the Judy of 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 like of, you were of Doc. Health, that's right. Of, health, of healthcare software. I'm just going to go with what they've done. Judy. Judy. So she never raised any money from venture capital or from private equity investors, and she said she will never go public. Now, Epic was originally written in a database management system as a, as a database management system. Faulkner wrote the original code, and she put the patient at the at the center. This was the first software that actually dealt with patient records. Mm. See, before that, hospitals had like a billing system so because it was like centered on the money. How can we bill for this? Right. So th- they had a billing system. They also had a clinical system. So when you order uh, order a, a lab test, they, 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 they automated that. So they had lab test automation. They had billing system automation. But nobody worried about making the, the patient the center of the, of the database. So that's what... That was her sort of claim to fame. Now, she wrote the original code in a programming language called MUMPS. 
Now, I'm telling you, this is perfect for health for healthcare, it is. isn't that most perfect? Now that stood for Massachusetts General Hospital Utility Multiprogramming System. Now that's an acronym for it. That's you. an acronym, but I can see why they called it MUMPS. Mm-hmm. So the programming language that this, that this patient the records the- was written in MUMPS. Yeah, that well, that MUMPS was created in the uh, in in the late 1960s. You know, to tell you the truth, until I worked on Judy. Just Judy profile. I never had, had never heard of mumps before. You'd never heard of mumps. Look never at the things mumps. we learn from those around us, don't we? I know that's mm-hmm. the that is the truth. Now she put what the other thing that she did because because she actually she's CEO of the company. And she's one of the few CEOs in the field that actually is a software developer. So she put in many APIs, application programming interfaces. She called them when I was reading her, she called them exit points, many exit points, so people could hook in other software systems. And if you've got a standardized interface, you can hook in other software systems to interact with the data. So you could easily customize your system. And the other thing she does, which is quite amazing, she gives the source code to her customers. So they actually have this. Now, they write a non-disclosure agreement. They can't sell it, reuse right. it, do all that. But they can then, once they see the source code, they can see what actually the APIs are, and they can, and they can add code themselves. So it was highly customizable. <laughs> so she made this really focused on, on the customer. Now, Epic's genius is that they developed a digitized system for patient records <laughs> that was far broader it actually would integrate with admissions, with discharge, with pharmacy, with specialty care, with billing, insurance, and more. So it became a common database for everything. It became the center of the universe in healthcare. Now, Judy is highly introverted. She doesn't like being in the public. She rarely grants an interview. She likes going around with and, and having people not even know who she is. Uh, and she, it was hard to find any information on her, to tell you the truth, because she, she just hardly does any interviews. Epic System now holds medical records for over 200 million people. She and her family own over 43% of Epic Systems, mm. originally headquartered in Madison, Wisconsin. So this is 43% of a $3.9 billion company. Not not bad. Nope. So uh, it uh, then they moved to Verona, Wisconsin. Now, you know Verona... Italy, this is where Romeo and Juliet were. Yes. So this is not Romeo, Italy. This is Romeo, I mean, this is Verona, Wisconsin. Right. They moved there in 2005. They now employ, in 2019, they employed 10,000 people. Mm. In 2017, Epic generated $1.2 billion in revenues, which was double its 2014 revenue. It won't disclose its owners. It's privately held. The Forbes 2018 list of billionaires ranked her at number 562 as the as the third wealthiest self-made woman with a net worth of $3.8 billion. Wow. So there you know, everything you need to know. Judith R. Faulkner, co-founder of Epic Systems. Doc? Yes. You're a real PSAR. Yeah. I have to say that. <laughs> I'm a real PSAR. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's Saturday morning. Hope you're paying attention to what we were talking about right there because you get a chance to win free lunch when you play the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, 104.5 FM in Loudoun County, and on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Follow us on the Periscope by downloading the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk, and you can watch us do the show. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please be seated, please be seated. I'm glad to see that we're still allowed to have yeah. a studio yeah, audience yeah. despite what's happening please, in this world. No shaking hands, no shaking hands. No shaking hands. hands. And you don't need to wear the mask. You don't have to wear the mask, but this is but a no-handshake zone. Fist bumps and elbow bumps are okay. Exactly. Yeah, you, have you heard? I forget which country this is in, but now they're they're t- touching feet. Oh, so touching you, you, feet. You, run, you run into a, a friend uh, uh, on the street, and what you do is you kind of like kick your leg out. You both kick each other's foot. Oh, that's a very <laughs> excellent idea. Because this is not simply a radio show. No, this it's is not. a classroom of the airways. And, of course, we have to see whether our studio audience is listening and has learned anything in the classroom. Earlier in the show, we talked about Judith R. Faulkner. She, of course, is co-developer of, co-founder of Epic Systems. She wrote all the original code for Epic Systems. What was the programming language that she used to write the initial software in? If you know the answer to today's question, well, you know what to do. Pick up the phone, give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're off your meds in Canada, call us on the wild card line. 877-936-9333. 877-936-9333. Anyone else? Anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's coronavirus free. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. Well, thank you very much. Now, I think I'm going to share with you the tip of the week. This is fascinating. Tip of the week. 
magnetizing your screwdriver. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can buy screwdrivers that are magnetized, yeah. but a lot of times it isn't. And you know, if you're like, and, you've got and, a little small screw and it falls down. And when you need one, you don't have one. You don't have one. But it's easy to magnetize your own screwdriver. Really? So I just thought this was really nice. You get uh, you get a, a, a strong magnet, like a neodymium magnet, and everybody's got a magnet somewhere in the house. And you, you know, I don't think I do. You can order one. You can order. You just order a, a neodymium magnet. Amazon right now. Get yeah. One of those, those big U-shaped no, magnets. No, from- <laughs> no. It'd be a, you know a fairly small <laughs> magnet. Or or there you, you might have something oh, like a. <clears throat> I know I do. They're hanging on the refrigerator. Yeah, a right. Little, but those those might be too weak. Okay. Those might. Or you might have uh, sometimes like, like if you're a mechanic, there are these little dishes that have a magnetic bottom to to, yes. you know, to hook on. Yeah. That that magnet's strong, strong enough. enough. That's strong enough. Okay. Then what you do? You just take that magnet and you start at the handle light and run down to the tip. Then you rotate it a quarter thing, start at the handle, run down to the tip, lift it away, start at the handle, run down to the tip. Do that about 10 times. Really? And your and your screwdriver will be magnetized. That's crazy. Isn't that I mean that I, isn't that nice to know? Who would have guessed? <clears throat> because I mean there's so many times you get this little tiny especially if, if it falls down, then you can use the screwdriver to pick up the screw if it falls down. In the case, I now, mean, I, I got in. I got into this because when I'm working on computers, a screw falls in there, and how do you get it out? Now, will it stay magnetized in perpetuity? Yeah, it'll stay magnetized for yeah for, for you know years. I mean, what what you're doing? You're aligning the you're aligning the molecules in the uh, in the in the steel. Mm-hmm. Now, now the screwdriver has to be made out of a magnetic material, right? So it has to be attracted to the magnet. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So, so test it, your screwdriver so it's attracted to the magnet. And if that is, you can magnetize it. Okay. And it, it lasts for years. Since we're a testing lab, <laughs> let me ask you this. How do, you, how do you then reverse the process? Suppose you've magnetized it and you don't want it to be anymore. That's uh, just too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad. Okay, that's very yeah. funny. You're just on fire today <laughs> with the jokes. You know the right. Wait a minute. That's the wrong guy. We need the music. Stop. Stop talking. I think this is – wait a minute. No, is this it? Here we Here we go. Okay, that's that's a subtle reminder, subtle as a German jazz band, <laughs> that we are now going to play the pop quiz. Let's go to line number two. Okay, okay here we go. Uh, caller, sign in. This is Lewis, right? Yes, sir. Hi, Lewis. Good morning to you, sir. Earlier good in the morning, good morning, Lewis. Earlier in the show, we talked about Judith Faulkner. She, of course, wrote the code and co-founded. Epic Systems. What programming language did she write the initial version of Epic Systems in? Mop. Correct. There you go. You're the winner, Lewis. <laughs> Excellent work. Hang on a second, my friend. We're going to send Thank you back you. to Andrew, and he is going to take your information, and we will send the prize back out to you. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. On the web, federalnewsnetwork.com or stratford.edu. You can watch us do the program, download the Periscope app to your device, follow us at WFED Tech Talk. You will be disappointed when you see us. (laughs) We'll be back with more Tech Talk in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Sometimes the best stuff happens when we're off the air. So we're talking about this whole demagnetizing thing. And Mm -hmm. I mentioned to Dr. Schertz that you can demagnetize your credit card. Yes. And your response was, you're not really demagnetizing. No, you're not. No, the first thing we're talking about, can you demagnetize the screwdriver? The screwdriver, right. Uh, But once you've magnetized, you can probably reverse it, but you're not going to be able to randomize it again. So it'll always be magnetized one way or the other. But in the case of a magnetic strip, you're not really demagnetizing it. You're just magnetizing all of the areas so it's pointed in the same direction. And that destroys the digital signature so, so the credit card machine won't read it. It's not demagnetized. It's just magnetized with everything in the same direction. Okay, all right. So according to (laughs) Instructables.com, it's simple to demagnetize. Just using the word for Uh the moment. Uh, All you need is a magnetized screwdriver and a heating element. (laughs) (laughs) You used an electric stove, but a gas stove blowtorch or gas welding torch would also work. So you get the element nice and hot, uh, turn the gas all the way up, whatever, uh, so now that it started, for fun, what you want to do is get it nice and hot all over so that you put the blade of the screwdriver across the burner in such a way it touches as much as possible without the plastic handle being too close and melting. Okay. And um, uh, then you prop it up with a handle, like a steak knife or something, across the burner, and uh, it looks like uh, you just let it sit there for a while. And that demagnetizes and it. And the screwdriver <laughs> uh, gets to about 700 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. This is called the Curie temperature. Yes. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, it will, if it stays that way for a long time, it will lose its magnetism. So what they're they're using thermal energy, thermal vibration to basically randomize the magnetic alignment. Uh huh. That's what they're doing. Okay. And so you know when it uh, turns uh, to the bluish color, then black, it will form whitish coating, and then it will glow. <laughs> that's how you know you've gotten it to 700 degrees, and that's how you know you don't want to touch it. On the other hand, you you, you may have uh, detempered your your screwdriver, that's a very good point and you, too. You, you may have ruined the screwdriver. Exactly. So my advice is don't try to demagnetize. Don't try to, don't yeah. try to demagnetize. When the tip it. is the whitest co- whitish right. color, you know the magnetism. It, yeah, it didn't occur to me to go up to the Curie temperature because that just it wouldn't seem like what what something would somebody would normally do. But but knowing what you know, yeah. yes. Mr. Physics, would that work? It would work. Yes. 
But I so, was, but I wasn't thinking that was an option. I would not <laughs> recommend doing this to your credit card. No, and it would probably <laughs> melt the handle and your screwdriver. I mean, because that heat is going to, oh yeah, it's going to go right down. I mean, I think, well, because yeah, that's right. The handle goes right into the, the 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 metal goes right into the handle. Yeah, so this is something you don't want to do. No, I just magnetize your screwdriver. Don't try to demagnetize. Don't try it. this at home. We just throw this out there because exactly. we're scientists. Here. <laughs> exactly. Or you are. Listen, let's talk about what the FBI discovered. I, okay. I tried to get to this last week, and we ran out of time. Okay. They discovered that over $140 million has been handed over to ransomware attackers. And we know some of that money came from Baltimore City. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were contributing to the, uh, to the financial wealth and the, and the balance sheet of the, of the ransomware uh, attackers. Now, what the FBI did, it was very interesting because because people that are paying ransomware will not admit it to the FBI. They just do it and don't tell anybody because they are embarrassed, right? They're embarrassed. So, and all of the all of the ransomware people, they they want their money paid in Bitcoin or some sort of cryptocurrency, so it's not traceable. And so, the FBI has been analyzing crypto crypto coins or bitcoin transfers over the past years to figure out what's going on in this dark world of ransomware special agent uh, joel de copua presented uh, presented a paper where he explained that he could use bitcoin wallets <clears throat> and ransom notes collected by the fbi shared by private partners are found on virus total that's a website of all these transactions to figure out how much victim paid in ransomware. According to this FBI special agent, between October 2013 and November 2019, approximately 144 million was paid in Bitcoin or ransomware. But played in Bitcoin to ransomware actors, as they say. Mm -hmm. This figure doesn't include the operating costs relating to these attacks. Just to, just to come up. The FBI warns that hackers are targeting, in particular, software supply chain providers. Uh, because if they can get ransom, if it, because if they can put malware in the software before you even buy it, it's they're they're it's, good it's to go. There. They're good to go. Now the most profitable ransomware families, as they say, these are ransomware <laughs> it's families. It's like a mafia family. Yeah, the Ryuk Ryuk R Y U K brought in the most money for ransomware operators. That's the name of the software. Ryuk brought in around sixty-one million, followed by Crisis Dharma. Which brought in 24 million, and the last one in the uh, in the roundup was Bitpaymer, that came brought in about eight million. The cap, the uh, FBI revealed. Now this is the probably the most significant thing in this news story that the number one attack was through the Windows Remote Desktop Protocol, mm. where you can log in remotely into a network and manage it, and that is fact. In fact, what happened in Baltimore? They had outsourced their IT support. The IT support company was logging in using remote desktop with very weak passwords. They penetrated the Baltimore system through the remote desktop. Isn't and, that crazy that the company that was managing the security was using weak passwords? Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they, they, there's really even no password on it, these guys, because they don't want to mess with the password. I mean, uh -huh. this, is, this is a big problem. Remote desktop, remote Windows remote desktop accounted for 70 to 80 percent of the network breaches, and that's why the FBI recommends that organizations use network level authentication for additional protection. That in, that means that you've got to 
I actually have one level of a, one additional level of authentication rather than just getting it through into the remote desktop. This is actually a pretty good idea, and um, and a lot of comp- a lot of cities and municipal groups have this problem because they outsource their IT support. So be careful, guys. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Let's go down memory lane. This is what I like. Memory lane. This is the 40th anniversary of the 802 group, the IEEE 802 group. Okay, guys, now pay attention. This is the way to clear the buffet bar at the at the party tonight. If you want all the shrimp, <laughs> you want this all is the how shrimp. This is it. how you do it. Okay, the 802 group is a standards group. I see before the 802 group was started, you don't realize how important standards are. Let's just say uh, Wi-Fi. You can go to anywhere. You can attach to Wi-Fi. It's standard. It's the same protocol. Before the 802 group, you wouldn't have had a wireless standard. Every company had had their own deal. If you would go to this company, they would have a wireless standard. Somebody else have another wireless standard, and then there would be no interoperability. Or something like Ethernet, where you plug your computer into a network at work, boom, it works anywhere. That's a standardized product. So all of our communication over the Internet, in fact, the whole Internet protocol is a standard, is all driven by standards. And we've had them for so long that you just don't appreciate how important yeah. they are. So back in the um, back in the day, uh, actually 40 years ago, some guys got together, uh, some executive company executives that were making hardware, and they said, you know, we really need to standardize how our hardware talks to each other, and we need some standards. So they went to the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, called the IEEE, and they proposed that they be a new standards group would be formed for communication protocols, and they wanted to call it Group 802. Now, the reason that they wanted to call it Group 802 was that it was being started in February of 1980. Mm-hmm. So 80 for the year and, and two, two for, for February. Yeah, two for the month, 802. So actually last month was the 40th anniversary. So they proposed— well, close enough. That's close enough. And, you know, we had so much material to cover in, the, in February, we, we just couldn't get there's, to it. And there's only so many, you know, minutes in an hour. There are only so many minutes even, in an hour. Even with a leap year. Exactly. We still had too much information we did. because theoretically last Saturday should have been March 1st. That's right. Was, any other year except every fourth year. But it was leap day. Yeah. Yeah, but it was leap day. I know when we been we and we just trucked along. We had no trouble handling handling a show on leap day. Now, see before the standards group, all the standards were proprietary. Everybody'd have their own little deal. They tried to fight with each other and uh, there wasn't interoperability. You, you, you don't realize how bad it was in the day. So the executives thought they should standardize things. So the initial discussions took place in 1979. The first formal meeting was held February 1980. The next month, they they requested a um, uh, they 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 made a formal request to IEEE for approval as a group. In the 19s, they the 802 group started working on on uh, wireless connection standards under the Token Bus group. Back in the day. Um, uh, before Ethernet, IBM had a special local area network protocol called Token Token Bus Token Ring, and so the Token Bus group that was 802.4. That was the fourth standards group formed under 802. So they tried to do wireless activity under 802.4, and they said, "Wait a minute here, this this doesn't really make sense. It's this wireless is more than just Token Ring." So they decided to create another a committee under 802, and so that became 802.11. So if you know, all the Wi-Fi standards are 802.11. You hear that number, all that because that was the 11th group that was formed under the 802 standards group, interoperability standards group. 
and that was for all Wi-Fi. So in 1990, the, the group was formed in 1997, the 802.11 group. They released their first standard in 1990, and we all remember it dearly. <laughs> 802.11a, 802.11b. I love those standards. It it, it brought it <laughs> brings tears to my eyes as I as I remember as I remember first setting that up. This is your kind of walk down memory lane. It is. It mm-hmm. is. After a while, they uh, they they you know they submitted uh, some more standards in there, and now we're up to like uh, many many versions of 802.11. Now they also now they like Wi-Fi like Ethernet is 802.5. That was the fifth group was formed, and so they standardized all the all the Ethernet protocols. And so like the Wi-Fi 802.11, it coordinates with a nonprofit organization, Wi-Fi.org, and Wi-Fi.org has all the manufacturers in it. So they always said they these standard groups have to coordinate with industry because, well, why make a standard if nobody manufactures right. it, you know? And then the like the 802.5 group um, Ethernet. Uh, you know they 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 actually interact with the Ethernet Alliance. So hardware makers, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition in these standard groups because the hardware makers they they'll have their own standard they're trying to push because they've already got the equipment designed for it. And so the 802 group tries to make certain that no one company dominates the groups. So suppose they have a meeting and there are ten people there from say, um, let's just uh, from Intel. Okay, and they're and, and and Intel has half of the people at the working group meeting, and they're going to vote on a new standard. In order to make certain that it's a fair vote, because Intel has so many people there, they'll they'll say, "Okay, Intel, each of your votes is degraded, so it's only worth one tenth of a person." So they kind of normalize the vote so that one company can't dominate the vote. This is the one thing that 802 does. So, happy 40th anniversary, 802 Group. Without you, we would not be communicating as well as we do. We would have no standards. No, there would be no memes. I mean, we could not communicate memes around the world without the 802 group. Yeah. There would be no Instagram. We would be, there would be no Facebook. Those standards dominate everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's an important topic, so we have paper to back shuffle. Up. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Now let's talk about ducks. Let's. Duck, duck, go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you familiar with duck, duck, go? It's we've, a, we've talked uh, about this before, and the moment it is slipping my mind. But go ahead. You're about to inform me okay. and everyone else. Okay, duck, duck, go is a browser that was developed for privacy. They guarantee, oh, right, yeah. They guarantee that they don't track anything. I mean, if you go, if you use Google, they're going to track everything. They're going to know everything you do. If, if you... If you search for a product on Amazon, they track everything. So all most of the search engines track everything, and then they use that. They sell that data for anybody who will buy it, and uh, it's not really that uh, private. But DuckDuckGo is a is a best in class privacy search engine, and they guarantee that they will not track anything. Well, they've created DuckDuckGo Tracker Radar. Mm-hmm. Tracker Radar, and what this is. This they created a database. They call it Tracker Radar, and it it's automatically generated and through continuous crawling and analysis of traffic on the web. And what they're doing there, they are discovering how companies are tracking people, and they are looking for all kinds of evidence of tracking. And they go around the web and they they analyze this. And what they've done is they've set is they've released this data as a public database. 
so that researchers or people that want to create a tracker block list know what's going on. And the code behind it is open source. Now, the database is used by DuckDuckGo Privacy Browser on mobile apps, and any websites that are tracking you, it blocks them. It also is used for DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials desktop browsers extension. So you can you can actually get an extension for your browser, you know, an extension for Edge or for or for Chrome, and you can include the DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials desktop browser extension, and they will block all these people that are trying to track you. Now, what happens if people track you? You might be haunted by the ghost by ads that come up based on your past browsing history. Ghosts of previous browsers. That could be dangerous. It could be dangerous. Many uh, people don't and like embarrassing. Many people don't like those ghosts to be showing up. And so and they like them to stay in the closet. And so creepy <laughs> creepy ads are powered by these hidden trackers lurking behind most websites. Unfortunately, your shopping habits are just the tip of the iceberg. In addition to shopping history, trackers can pick up your location history from your cell phone your search history, your browsing history, and more. They can infer your age, ethnicity, gender, interests, and habits. Companies collect this personal data into a detailed profile, and they auction it off to the highest bidder. Mm. So you do have some value to somebody. Sure. And one of the best things you can do to protect yourself is to use a quality tracker blocker. And that's what, Duck that Duck Go, that's what DuckDuckGo is doing, and they're offering it with their suite of services. But the thing, the reason I made this an, a, a, an article is that they're releasing their database of tracking sites to anyone who wants to use it. And they call that the DuckDuckGo tracking radar. So they are really helping humanity with that project. Indeed they are. Yes. Hey, Doc, I blew out the last commercial. Okay. Break, so we can just keep on going. Here's good news about West Virginia. They're not going to use that <laughs> smartphone app. It's going to be bad. <laughs> Good news about West Virginia. I mean, they were so proud of the fact that they were using a See, smartphone app. I've already angered everybody in Canada, I know. as you've detailed earlier. Yes. And now I better just lay off West Virginia. You better just lay off West Virginia because you don't want to do that. Because no. well, they wanted to be ahead of the power curve. So they got this uh, – they wanted uh, residents with disabilities. They wanted the military to be able to vote in the, in the state's primary in May with this uh, mobile app. Uh, instead, they're going to use another system where they will print out completed – where individuals will print out a ballot at home. They will then fill out the ballot manually with a what's called a, a pen or a pencil. <laughs> they will take the ballot and fold it as trifold, put it into – Are an, there instructions as to how to do that? Put it into an envelope. And what's put, an envelope? And put a stamp on it. And put it in the mailbox and mail it. Holy cow. This seems really complicated. But it is more secure than the mobile app. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. Uh, the West Virginia Secretary of State, Mark Warner, announced that disabled and overseas voters will be able to use this service. And it's offered by Democracy Live, which lets users log in and fill out a ballot online, print it, and mail it out. So this uh, d democracy live is like a, is like a service which is I don't know who's offering that who created it, but it looks like a pretty good service. It's more secure. So it turns out they were going to use this Voat's smartphone app until MIT researchers wrote a white paper outlining all of the security violations in that particular app, 
And after the, all the bad press, they decided to move on and go with this uh, other system, which is actually much more secure, offered by Democracy Live. I'm looking at Democracy Live's web, uh, website right now, mm-hmm. trying to figure who, who they uh, who they are, you know, aligned I, with. I couldn't figure it's out. Hard, it's hard to tell. No, you really can't tell. I, they're uh, they're in um, Seattle, it's in Washington. A, it's a nonprofit group, but I don't know who who's who who's it's behind it. With. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's a real. This is now probably the most significant warning I'm going to give today. There's a malware that's being spread through fake security alerts, and it, and it's it get two kinds. Both Trojan malware as well as backdoor malware are being distributed through a phishing technique. Attempt to lure you to accepting an update to the security certificates. Now the certificate authority. CAs, they distribute security certificates, SSL security, secure socket layer security certificates for improved security online. And when you go to a securely a secure website, you know, you you have to authenticate that certificate before you trust the encryption. So they found a very clever technique. Uh, the individuals will infect a website with certain malware. And when you go to the website, you will be flashed with this announcement. Alert. This alert claims that the website security certificate is out of date. But rather than this being the domain's name problem, victims are urged to install a security certificate update. And it turns out that this particular announcement is exactly the same size as the screen that you're looking at. So you can't see the website underneath it. So you think you're logged into the website. It's it's a basically a JavaScript overlay in an iframe that's exactly the same size as the page. So you see this pop-up. It looks like you're still on that page, but actually it's coming from someplace else. And then if you click update the certificate so you can see the website, and a lot of people are doing this because it looks real, it will install a program called Certificate Update V02-2020.exe. And when this installed, it will install one of two malware variants. If you're, a, if you're running a Mac, it'll install the Mox backdoor, and it's sophisticated code that will take screenshots, steal PC information, including files, audio, and video captures, install a backdoor so they can log into your computer. That's for persistence. Mm-hmm. And it'll use AES-256 encryption to disguise its activities. You know, .exe files are nothing but trouble, as we've discussed here. They are bad news. Yeah. Bad mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. Now, or else they'll do Barack. Barack. Not, 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 it's spelled not, differently than Barack is, Obama. But it's a B-U-E-R-A-K. Yes, BUE is different than Barack Obama, but it sounds like Barack. It's a window-based Trojan that's able to exec code, tamper with the running process, steal content, maintain persistence through registry keys, and and it will do various techniques like anti-sandboxing so you can't run things out. So be careful. Do not update a certificate if you go to a website and they tell you to update that certificate. Look, we love your emails. We want you to email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. We'd also like you to go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu, and check out all of our programs in healthcare, software engineering, cybersecurity, culinary, hospitality, business accounting, a lot of stuff. And tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, 
call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.